in, a, in an easy manner, just things like that. It's not super complicated. It, it doesn't require training or anything like that. They show you real quick what you need to do, and it only takes a couple minutes. And it's a great way of serving the least of these. And so it would be the morning of the 31st, uh, so night of the 30th through the morning of the 31st. The sign-up sheets are right over here. Uh, Megan will be here afterwards too. Buy the sheet. You can ask any questions that you need for that. We just encourage you to get involved in that because it's a pretty awesome ministry that, that uh, churches from all over the peninsula are doing for homeless people to give them shelter through the winter months. All right. We are uh, in our Christmas time kind of looking at some things. And t today I want to talk about what I call the unexpected message. And the reason I want to say this is because I, I, I want to take something that we are pretty familiar with. I mean, last week what we did is we, we took that story of, of Mary and Joseph, but kind of highlighted looking at it from Joseph's side, because I think a lot of people don't look at it from Joseph's side and don't realize uh, what kind of a man Joseph was, just, just an awesome person. And so today I want to do the same thing. I want, to, I want to kind of look at it from a different way. And part of that's just because, you know, how many different ways can you talk about Christmas, right? I mean, you've heard, if you've been in church a good part of your life, you've heard a ton of Christmas messages, and what happens is they become uh, kind of old hat and boring, and I want to fight that. I want to fight that. So, so let's talk about this and kind of think about it from a different angle. Um, I want to read you the verses that we're going to look at tonight, uh, this morning. I just have a bad feeling about this morning. I, I, I feel, I'm afraid. You know, sometimes on a Christmas message, we read the genealogies. And I'm always thinking there's people in, in here that are rooting for me to mispronounce a name and say maybe a bad word. Like there's, a, there's one of the guys, his name is Shieldteal, and it's just so, you know, and I'm so, some of you are going, come on, come on, Bob, you could That's, I'm afraid of that today. I feel like I'm just messing up. Here we go. Luke 2, 13 to 19. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So I want to think of this, look at this from a, a new perspective. You can see it in the title, an unexpected message. Right? This was not an expected message. This was an unexpected message. And oftentimes, God works in our lives, speaks to us, teaches us in unexpected ways. And that can be difficult because that means we have to be listening. We have to be kind of listening for God to speak. And listening is really a tricky thing because if you're not listening, you don't know you're not listening. You understand what I'm saying? If you're not listening, you don't realize you're not listening. Have you ever had that time? I can remember sitting in, in the living room and I was reading a magazine and the TV was on. I was kind of half watching a football game and reading a magazine. One of my kids was little and they just, just through the hallway, they're just looking into the room. They said something to me and I just kept right on reading. And they came up and they said, Dad, I was talking to you. I said, you were talking to me? I, I, didn't, I didn't even realize it. See, if you're not listening, you don't know you're not listening. And that's a tricky thing, because if God is talking, you don't want to be not listening, right? And so we're going to talk about that, because that's an important thing for us. Uh, 
if God is speaking to me, I want to hear what he has to say. And so the first thing I get from this passage, sometimes God gives us a message in unexpected ways. In unexpected ways. That is, ways that we don't anticipate. Or, if we're more realistic, sometimes he talks to us and speaks to us in ways we don't want. I don't want God to talk to me that way. I don't want God to talk. I don't want this situation that God is trying to teach me in. All right? Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him, all right? So the shepherds, they got this, and we've talked about this before. You guys remember this, some of you anyways. The shepherds got a spectacle. They got a vision. The shepherds got fireworks. Man, I love fireworks. I love fireworks. When I, when I was a kid and my dad was in the Air Force, sometimes we'd go to firepower displays. And, and at one point, he was stationed out near the desert. And so they would take us out in the desert, and there'd be some buildings, some, just some cinder block buildings out there. And then all of a sudden, and I'd just be going, this is the most awesome thing I've ever seen. That's when I decided I want to be a pilot. I want to go in the Air Force like my dad. I want to be a pilot, and I want to blow things up because that sounds, it's so fun. We like that stuff. We like Big, showy things, explosions. We like visions, spectacles. That's what we all like. Powerful things. Unfortunately, oftentimes what we get is a shepherd. And that's what happens in this passage. The shepherds get the vision. The shepherds get angels. They get, oh, glory to God, and all that kind of stuff. They get that. Then they run to this town, and they say, you will believe what we've seen. And I think a lot of people, if you know about shepherds in those days, a lot of people are going, you're right. We don't believe what you've seen because you've been drinking too much or you've been doing this. Or you've been... They run into town. Shepherds were the bottom of the ladder. They were marginal. They were people often of poor character because that's the only job they could do. It was the lowest thing. And God sends his message through shepherds through shepherds. That's an amazing thing. You ever think what a poor way that is to get out an important message? And we see this all the time in the Bible. I mean, you think about people in our day that no one trusts, and suddenly they're entrusted with this powerful message. And I'm not going to get into jokes about who, you know, because that just leads to terrible things, jokes about lawyers and stuff like that. We're not going to talk about that. That was dumb. We have lawyers in our congregation and none of them now will help me in a difficult situation. I know that now. (laughs) But God, he sends his message out in ways that people are not prepared to hear. He sends his message out in shepherds. And that's not the people, those aren't people that anybody listened to. What does he do with the resurrection? Who gets the message? The women. And it's terrible, it's just terrible, but that's the way it was in those days. Women's testimony in those days was not considered reliable enough to use in court. One, one rabbi writes about it. He says, if one man kills another man and three women witness it, it never happened. Because they didn't trust women. That's just the way it was. So who does God make his primary witnesses to the resurrection? Women. Women. Now somebody could look at God. I can imagine an angel going, God, this is not going to work. Shepherds and women, what are you doing? Do you want to keep it a secret? But this is, this is what happened. He does that. God 
in the Old Testament, sometimes God speaks in incredible ways, but many God, times God speaks like he did to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. It says there was a wind, and God was not in it. There was an earthquake, God was not in it. There was fire, God was not in it. And then Elijah heard a still, small voice. Because he was listening. Because he was listening. Jesus gets all his disciples together after he rises from the dead. This ragtag group of deniers and quitters and cowards. And he gives them 40 days to ask their questions and to look at him and to hear him teach and to touch him. And then he leaves them. Now, what do we get? We get the disciples. We get what they wrote. That's what we get. I would have, you know, it would be great to see the powerful stuff. But that's not how most of us get the message. And so the key then is, are we listening? There are always flaws in the messenger. And for most of us, that's how we hear our need of God. We hear it through someone who's weak and flawed and in need of forgiveness just like us. If you're talked to by a friend or a family member, the huge temptation is to dismiss the message because you know the messenger and the flaws in the messenger. I talked about this. My, my middle brother Steve was, the, if I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and my middle brother Steve was the first person in my family that got saved. And he came and he talked to me about it. And I could just remember going, I don't want what you have because I don't like you. I didn't like my middle brother at that time. We're better now. We're better now. But I didn't want to hear what he had to say because I didn't like him. For many of you, quite possibly, your first experience with church and God was your parents dragging you to church against your will, forcing you to go to some boring thing. And, and so what happened? You, you just said, my parents aren't, I don't think they're that great. So this, and you, you, what you did is you dismissed the message because of the messenger. Just because the messenger is flawed, it doesn't mean the message is flawed. We have to be willing to, to listen. My favorite passage on this is Numbers 22. In Numbers 22, it's the story of Balaam's donkey. And God spoke to Balaam through the donkey. So just because the messenger is an ass, it doesn't mean it's not the truth. You have to remember that. That's, I'm going King James on you right now. That's King James. Now, we laugh, but think about how true that is. Think about how true that is. I can remember talking to a friend one time and saying, I don't know, dude, I just think that's wrong. And he looked at me and said, who are you to tell me that? Do you want me to list what I think is wrong with you? And he had a fair point. But the thing is, the message is still true in spite of the messenger. Shepherds were known for being liars. And God chose them. That's the craziest thing. And so we overlook this at our peril. We have to determine if it's God speaking regardless of the person communicating the message. Another thing I think about, we talked about this just early in, this, in the service, we want successes and God often sends us failures. We want a smooth road and God always, oftentimes leads us along a rough path. We want achievements, but God speaks mostly through shepherds, not angels. When the apostle Paul was converted Jesus was working on him and finally appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads. Now, what is a goad? A goad is a sharp stick that oftentimes shepherds would carry. And so as they're herding their sheep 
And shepherds would lead their sheep. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, it's not like in the U.S. where they go behind them. And the shepherd would lead the sheep and he would sing and he would talk and the sheep would follow his voice. And then if he saw one goat, it was just kind of, or a sheep that was kind of going off on his own, you know, dirt, 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 dirt. He would, he would run over and boink, right, right in the hindquarter, bam, like that, poke it. And the sheep would kick and he'd poke it and the sheep would kick. But he's far enough away because of the stick. You know, the sheep's wasting his time trying to kick. And it would, by, by those pokes, the sheep would get back over to where the flock was. And Jesus says to Paul, Paul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? It's hard. Because it's useless. You're wasting your time kicking. You can't kick me. But I can boink you. And he says, so why give up? Give up. Kick against the goads. We do that, don't we? Something starts to happen in our life. Oh, God, why is this happening? I, I get so mad when there's a bad thing. And we get all upset and we kick against the goads. Oftentimes when people get married, they think that growth will come in their life as they sit down with their spouse and have this wonderful, pleasant, back-and-forth, give-and-take conversation. And they both get up and go, man, we've grown from this. And then they leave the table happy and complete. But in reality, we mostly see our weak spots. We mostly find out who we really are. And the way that leads to liberation is that our spouse irritates us to the point that we are amazed at what comes out of our mouth and the thoughts that enter our mind. And then we grow from it if we won't kick against the goads. You see, we want an angel, but sometimes God sends us a problem. He sends us a shepherd. He sends us a difficulty. We want a vision, but oftentimes God sends the least of these. And he speaks through our problems, and he speaks through flawed individuals that are in our lives. If you come away on a Sunday morning and you go, that really affected me. That really helped me. Let me tell you right off, that message was delivered by a flawed individual. I know that. I know that through actions or attitudes or words that I've said, I have hurt people here. And I value the forgiveness that's been extended to me because of that. I understand that. I am a flawed individual. But that does not invalidate the message. Because as much as I can, the message will be totally based upon what the Word of God says, not Bob's opinion. Not something that I happen to think is just kind of cool, so I want to I say it. And so the main way God speaks to us is through the, through the Bible. And it's interesting, the Bible fits this pattern perfectly. The Bible is an incredibly human book. It is, it is full of of people as they write as best they can what God is telling them to write, but their humanness just leaks into it and makes it so much more interesting and, and relatable. I, I, love, I love that in the four Gospels, in all of the four Gospels, the four writers each, in a sense, mock themselves. Matthew puts in his mistakes in the book of Matthew. Luke, who, who 
you know, is writing this whole defense of Paul. He's been in Rome. He's probably spent some time with Peter. Luke's pretty hard on Peter. With Peter's, you know, Mark, all, they, all of these, we, we see their humanness. I love that. They're not heroes. They're flawed human beings who God decided to use. And it's easy for us to get caught up with the lights and the bells and the whistles and the visions and the spectacular stuff. But God says, I've given you this. I've given you this Bible. I've given you the word. You want to hear from me. This is where it's going to come. It's going to come from the Bible. It's going to come from our problems. It's going to come from flawed people around us. God is speaking. We have to be listening. We have to be listening. We have to make, in a sense, our attitude, this idea of God, I want to know what you're telling me. Help me to listen, because I want to know. So, sometimes God gives us a message in unexpected ways. Sometimes what he says is not what we want to hear. Right? I think about this in, in verse 14 where it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Right? We, we have this idea sometimes when we hear a message, we tend to fit it to what we want to hear. And most people tend to think, oh, this is pretty unique in our part of the world. Most people tend to think that God is kind of saying, if you follow me and you try real hard and you serve me, I will give you a peaceful and comfortable life. We've been addressing that. And this is what we think God should be saying. Try really hard. Be faithful. I will reward you. What always gets me, though, when I talk to people about this is we tend to overlook one fact. Our Savior, our example, Jesus, it didn't quite go that way for him. It's the, utter, the opposite of how it worked. We tend to, that's, a, that's the real inconvenient truth that we tend to overlook. And for most of the disciples, it's a similar story. I think, I think part of it is because we are so steeped in, in songs and messages in the King James, and it kind of misses it. The King James says, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. As if God was saying, I'm going to bring peace to the whole earth. But, but it's not exactly how it's worded. That's not exactly what it says there. You know, it's not that God's in heaven and he wants to give us peace so we have this wonderful life. Because, because the word goodwill in, 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 the, uh, in the King James or here where it says on whom his favor rests, it's a word that's very synonymous with the word grace. It's this idea of God is bringing grace into this world. And, and it's available to those who are able to receive grace. So what is it saying? It's saying there's peace now. Now, what does there have to be before for peace to be declared now? There has to be a war going on. And what is it saying? The angels are saying, look, there is a war going on. It is between us on earth and God in heaven, in a sense. And God has declared now that peace is possible in this world, in this war. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What are they saying? They're saying, we're talking about this peace, and it's saying that it has happened. It's saying that something has been accomplished here. And so they're thinking this through. They're working through this idea. What has happened? 
And for many of us, even if we don't say it, we kind of think we should get a comfortable life because we follow God. And even though that didn't happen for Jesus or Paul or just about any great person who has overcome obstacles in their life, we think that's what we get. And frankly, I mean, let's be honest, the best way to lead a comfortable life is to cut corners and to lie at times. You know, we all know that lying is wrong, but it sure is tempting when it'll make things easier for us. It sure is tempting if it means a little more money in our pockets when we're doing our taxes or in other situations. It's very tempting when we think it'll make the road a little easier, and the reason is because it does make the road a little easier, at least in the short term. But if you're willing to lie, you don't have to make difficult moral decisions. You don't have to tell the truth when it might cost you to tell the truth. And the message of Christmas is this. You've been fighting God. You've been fighting God for what? For his job. You want his job. That's why there's fighting in your life. That's why there's fighting between you and other people. And the way to, the, the way to peace is not by trying not to fight. You can't do it. God did it. That's why they went to see what had happened. God already did it. Jesus has come to live and die for you. It is received by grace, and we can be at peace with God. At peace with God. This passage is not guaranteeing a peaceful life. It's simply guaranteeing that you can be at peace with God. Now, what do I mean by fighting with God? Let's just, two quick examples. Why are you worrying? Why am I worrying at times? Sometimes torn up by worry. Why? Because you're fighting God for the driver's seat. You think you know better about how life should go. And so you worry because you fi you're fighting with God. I want his job. I'm afraid God's not going to get it right. And because of that, my life will suffer. Or my family's life will suffer. Or my stuff, something will happen with my stuff. Or things will get taken from me. I will lose. And so I worry. I want you to see something. Worry is not failing God. Worry is fighting God. Because you're actively questioning his abilities and saying, you could do a better job. Now, we don't say it that way, right? We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't pray it. We wouldn't, you know, get on our knees by the bed. Dear God, you are inadequate. You're not going to say that. You know better. But what do you do? You worry. And you think. And you try to figure out ways of manipulating things so stuff happens the way you think it should happen. Why? Because you don't trust him. Or resentment. If we hold a grudge, we're fighting God in his job. What job? The job is judge. I know what this person deserves, and I'm going to rehearse it in my heart until it happens. I'm not going to do it because I know that would be evil. You know, My favorite thing is to talk about driving situations because I, that's just me. But all the time, I think I see people do stuff, and I say, that is, that is someone who could care less about other people. They don't care. They don't care that they're blocking traffic. They don't care this. They don't care that. Whatever. They want to get to the head of line and sneak in, and that makes me so angry. And then I start thinking about it. Boy, if he had a flat tire, that would teach him a lesson. <laughs> I would pass him. I'd wave. You know, we can think those things. And what are we doing when we do that? We've decided we're the better. I know what needs to happen. I'm the better judge. I know what needs to happen to that person. 
<clears throat> I mentioned this before, but one time I saw it, he almost caused a wreck. I mean, it was almost a huge wreck. And people avoided, a person went off the road and came back on, and that guy goes speeding merrily on his way. And I remember just thinking, God, I hope he gets in a wreck. I don't want him hurt, Lord. Maybe just a broken arm. But let it be a one-car wreck, just him in a tree, and then he'll go, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. What am I doing? I'm saying, God, I don't trust you to know what's best for that person, so I've concocted a plan here. And if you don't do it, you're not listening to me, and I know what I'm talking about. And you could say, you know, you can think you know what that person deserves, but you don't know. And when you're bitter, you're not failing God, you're fighting him. Fighting him for his job. Now, you might be saying, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm not fighting God. I'm a good person. I'm better than most. Now, what have you done now? You staked your claim for your goodness and said, I can make this on my own. I don't need God. And so you're fighting him for his job. That's how it works. And so all the anxiety, all the problems, all the internal struggles, all the fear, the bitterness that's inside us and between us with other people, it's all a sign that we want his job. And so the message of Christmas is this. There's peace available. You can stop fighting. I have the peace for you that you need. It's through my grace. This is what's now going to happen because of Jesus Christ. So sometimes God gives us a message in unexpected ways. Sometimes what he says is not what we want to hear. And listening to God is not always easy. Now, I think you probably agree with me on that. It's hard sometimes to listen. It's hard sometimes to discern. But I think in this passage, there's one message, but there's two different listeners. All right? And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So we hear the crowd. What did they? They were amazed. They were like, wow, these shepherds, this is crazy stuff. These shepherds are talking about. They come and tell us, and there he is. There's a kid born just like they said there would be. This is amazing. We saw something. You know, maybe we saw some of the lights, maybe whatever. We're just amazed. But it's very interesting because that word amazed doesn't mean anything's changed, right? On the 4th of July, you go see a firework display, and they play some patriotic music, you know, and it's dun 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 boom, boom. And you go, this is awesome. And then you walk away and go, I need to be a better husband. No, you don't. You just go, that's awesome. I like loud noises and things exploding. That's what happens. But it, but it doesn't change you. You haven't, nothing's been accomplished, right? But what about, but what about with Mary? And we kind of honed in on this, but I want to get on it even more. Verse 19, see, see now the juxtaposition here. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I used to think, I mentioned this before, I used to think like Mary was keeping her little scrapbook, right? Here's Jesus, and here's those three weird guys that came out. They were shepherds. They smelled terrible, but they had a great message. You know, here's, oh, and later some really smart guys came, and they gave us stuff, you know. And she's got it all, her little scrapbook, right? But that's not it. Okay, when she says she treasured all these things and pondered them, these are some key words. Um, the word treasured literally means to commit to memory. She said, I recognize that God is doing something incredible. I need to work at making sure I remember every aspect of what happened. It means to commit to memory. 
That's an important thing. You know, sometimes we'll talk about that, about this idea of sometimes memorizing parts of the Word of God. This is so important. Committing it to memory can be life-changing. can be life-changing. So treasured means to commit to, to memory, to value, to cherish highly. Ponder is actually a word that has this idea of a conversation and, and also can have an idea of arguing. Some two people going at it. And so you're thinking, what is she thinking? Well, she's, she's looking at this whole situation. She's asking questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? And she's allowing the situation to ask questions of her and talk to her. She's working it back and forth in her life. She's wrestling with it. She's grappling with it. You know, there are things, I think, that God wants us to grapple with in our lives. And it can be different things for different people. And so I hesitate to even share any one thing because some of you may go, well, I'm not really grappling. Oh, no, I'm a terrible person. You know, or somebody else says, that's stupid. You shouldn't grapple with that. But sometimes I know in my life I grapple with certain things. I worry about certain things. What's my responsibility? What's my responsibility to the environment? What's my responsibility to things like child labor, slave labor, things that I might buy that were made by people that, that were forced to do it for little or no money? What's my responsibility there? And I want to tell you, I'm still, I'm still working through it. I still don't know. I'm still not sure. I try to think these things through when I shop or when I buy things. But, not, you know, and, but here's the thing. I'm still grappling with it. Because the minute I decide not to grapple with something, I've quit. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to keep these things. I may not know the answer to these things, but I don't want to let it go. It's like I'm, I, one time being with a family and, and, and we were watching TV, some other couples, and it, became, it was one of those commercials about starvation. It was, this time it was about Ethiopia. And, and one person just said, I'm sick of seeing babies with bloated bellies. And I was thinking, I am too. And then I thought, I don't want to be sick of that because that's what's happening so what kind of responsibility do I have in this situation? I want to grapple with that. I want to grapple with that. And that's what's going on here. When it says that she pondered them in her heart, it means she wrestled with it. She grappled with it. She let it impact her. To ask questions about it and allow it to question her. Thinking through the implications. You know, almost every Sunday we talk about that as we sing. I want you to grapple with those words of those songs. I want you to grapple with the word of God. To wrestle with it. Because what does that mean? It means I think through the implications of what I'm reading, of what I'm singing. And if you want, because I think, okay, so here we have this Christmas message. What does it mean to me? So what? What does it tell us? If you want the Bible to speak to you, you need to look at this text because it's telling us something. Luke is saying we must give ourselves to the Bible on two levels, I call it, objectively and subjectively. All right? Because I think, why did he mention that she memorized it? Why is that important? Why did he put that there? She memorized it. Why? Well, I think it's because when Jesus died, Mary was probably in her mid to early 40s, probably mid 40s, an age that many of us look back on fondly. And we can see the idea that the Gospels were written a hundred... I should say this. 
the most common ideal you'll find around by people who do not believe the Bible is true, they'll say the Gospels were written 100 to 150 years after Jesus died. And they're just a collection of stories. That's all they are. I want to tell you something, though. That belief is declining rapidly. There have been some new discoveries in the last 20 years that not just because I'm a Christian, not just because I believe it, it's just objectively speaking, those arguments are getting blown out of the water. If you're interested in something like that, I can clue you in on some videos to watch, some books to read that, that are just profound. But he's saying here, Mary is still alive when Luke wrote this. And so what he's saying is, if you have questions, ask her. She's still alive. You can ask her. I don't have a problem with that. And Luke is saying, so this is the truth. And if you want to verify it, Mary lives in Jerusalem. Go ask her. I got no problem with that. And so he's saying, objectively, this is true. But trusting objectively is not enough. You know, it's like saying, I believe in God. It's one thing to say you believe in God. It's a whole other thing to say you believe God. Because that's a whole different level. And so Mary, with this treasuring and pondering, this, in, this, this thoughtful thinking and memorizing and, and thinking through the implications, she said, it's the idea of when we deal with the Word of God, when we deal with the Bible, we don't just ask what it says. We ask, what does it mean for me? How should I change because of this? So that sometimes I stop asking questions of the text and I allow the text to ask questions of me. I listen to it. I let it tell me. I let it say, this is key. This is important for you. I let it say, you've lost this. You've wandered from this. Where have you gone? I let it say, you have not thought much about this. If this seems new to you, where have you been? And that's what treasuring is, that word. And, and, and so objectively, I'm looking and thinking. But subjectively, I'm thinking through other things. I think about this in the, in, in the Western civilization that we're in. We're, we're taught certain things that we're basically an accident and the heart of ultimate reality is impersonal so there's no one to talk to. There's no one to listen to at the core of ultimate reality. And, and I know I'm saying this briefly and summarizing, but in the East, it's just, they will say, yes, there, there is a God, but this God is like all soul and he or she is the, the everything, not personal. God is impersonal. He's a life force. When we die, we lose our personality and we go to the all soul. In other words, ultimate reality in the East is same as it is in the West. It's impersonal. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to listen to. But the message of Christmas at the heart of ultimate reality is a person. Not a thought. Not an idea. Not a concept. Not a force. A person. And the heart of ultimate reality, therefore, is personal and relational. And we get this later. We're coming up in 1 John as we continue in January, our 1 John series. At the heart of ultimate reality is love because God is love. God is, it's not God is loving. It's not God has the characteristics of love. It is this, at his core, at his foundation, at his very ultimate reality, God is love. He is love, and he has come to us, and that is the message, Emmanuel, God with us. And so then the question becomes, am I listening? Are you listening? 
And do I know what he's saying to me? Do you know what he's saying to you? God is speaking. He speaks through people. He speaks through circumstances. And he speaks primarily and most succinctly through his word. Am I listening? Am I going to his word and saying, teach me, Lord? Even through these difficult passages where I don't understand what's going on, teach me, Lord. And then what happens is we become like Mary. We treasure, we ponder. It, it changes us, as we say so often, from the inside out. And that's the only change that lasts. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would, um, we would be like Mary, not just like the crowd. We wouldn't just be amazed or impressed, but that we'd be changed. We would give your truth the sustained attention that it deserves. And I thank you, Lord, that Jesus was so ordinary, just like us, born as a baby, so that we can relate to him. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn to trust you subjectively and objectively, that you would break through to us in your ordinary word, and you would become the God who speaks in our lives because you are there, and you are good, and you are not silent. Help us to be good listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering now, and if, you are, uh, if you're a guest here, a visitor here, please don't feel compelled to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship.